The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. So it's a wonderful thing to watch. So I don't think of faith as being a leap in the dark. It's a step in the light. People who have been through the pain of trafficking and exploitation, many times wonder where God is. Coming up now on First Person, something a little different this week. Not only will two different guests join us, but a second host will be part of these conversations as well. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and my friend Michael Card will join me in interviewing our guests. Before I bring Michael and our first guest to you, I want to once again thank the Far East Broadcasting Company for supporting First Person. Our partnership in bringing these interviews to you is a joy, and I hope you'll thank FEBC by visiting febc.org and learn more about its widespread broadcast ministry to millions of people. Again, go to febc.org. Michael Card and I have been hosting his In the Studio program together for many years. Now released each week as a podcast, it continues to reach listeners with Michael's music and teaching as well as rich conversation. I'll tell you more about the podcast later in the program, but to demonstrate a little of what we do in the studio, producer Joe Carlson and I have chosen two interviews to feature now. Later, we'll hear from Mary Frances Boley about helping young women caught in sex trafficking. But we begin with author and speaker Ken Boa. He and Michael hit it off immediately as they talked about the wonders in the skies above. Astronomy has, has been very important to me. I, I, I want to hear you, Ken, Ken uh, you know, God takes... Abraham outside and says, look up if you can count mm-hmm. the stars. I mean, even God points people to the stars to make to make points. Indeed he does. Yes. Indeed. In fact, the uh, four portals or entryways for God's revelatory communication with us include, first of all, uh, his world, and then second, yeah. his word, and then third, his works, and finally, his ways. Mm-hmm. And so this is um, an agency of, of the living God. I call it Windows of Heaven. In fact, I have a whole video of this um, on my website just to use astronomy images. We're blessed and be able to see things that no one else could see. Even a few decades ago, mm-hmm. the, the um, parameters that we now have, the capacity to see these nebulae and these other, in such remarkable color details, are beyond anything that any other generations have seen. We are great, greatly privileged. But even binoculars, you can the things you can see with binoculars are, are pretty impressive. I, I, I remember, I will never forget this, uh, we we used to live out in the country, and and uh, it was a pretty pretty clear sky, and I had some astronomical binog- pr- pretty big binoculars, and there was an elderly woman. I, I pointed them at at Saturn, and she looked mm-hmm. at the, the eyepieces, and she just burst into tears. Mm. <laughs> I'd never seen anything like it. Oh my word! Yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine the moment when Galileo saw not only Jupiter but the four moons. Wow! Uh, his those, and that moment. A sudden of revelation and the realization there are bands in this thing, and this is beyond anything you would have ever dreamed or imagined, and it just goes from there. He looks back 30 minutes later, and they moved, right? He drew <laughs> they pictures. Did, they moved. Yeah, these exactly things are moving, so. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so all of these wonders are are available to us, and uh, we are, most people rarely notice or appreciate, and I think God loves it when people... Um, 
see and say thank you for that glory and that beauty. Mm. One of the things I try to train myself to do, for example, when I'm driving now, is to uh, appreciate the beauty that I'm seeing. I'm going through a funnel of beauty, of glory, that Mm. most people never even noticed. But you can train yourself to be aware of that at the same time that you're driving. It doesn't take extra time at all. It's a, it's a, and then you begin to see things you never even noticed before. That's part of this life in the presence of God. Is it is seeing uh, that was my clever little way of of, of having a segue <laughs> into the um, <laughs> the very one of the early exercises I did a few years ago. It was in a January, and there, and so I'm I'm driving. I said I'm going to try to train myself to do something that requires no additional time. Because Thomas Kelly, in his testament of devotion, made it evident that, and I think he's quite right, that God has created us in such a way that we are capable of thinking on two levels simultaneously. We're really amphibious beings, one foot in heaven and the other on earth. And Mm. as a consequence, I believe we have the spiritual capacity that's as great as our capacity to see the physical, the material, the mundane, the ordinary, the routine. But it must be, it's, it's there, but it's latent and must be trained and developed. And as a result of in- integrating the two, you're not multitasking, you're integrating. And mm-hmm. then you begin to see heaven and earth. And after a while, you see what you couldn't have seen before. And so. I saw the dendritic architecture of trees. I saw the the bones of trees in that January, and I was astonished. Wait a minute. What I've never noticed, no two are alike. And then you begin to realize the the leaf canopy it's preparing for. And then I saw a few weeks later a tulip magnolia, and I almost went off the road because Uh. the the, the moment of of, ah, purple and white and this beauty. And now I cannot help but do it. It's a matter of, it's not a matter of time, it's a matter of intention. And that doesn't even take into account the way they smell. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) It just goes on. Let's not go there. I have a list of 15 senses and counting. (laughs) Wow. But I just thought there were like four or five. (laughs) There used to be, my my list is 15, but that's another discussion. Wow. (laughs) Well, go on. I love to hear the two of you talk about these things, especially the, the, here's God who created all this and at the same time invites us to commune with him. And what about the creation story? And he created the stars also. Yes, it just throws that in. He created the stars also. Oh, and by the way. Yeah, by the way. (laughs) And then that immediately made me think of the last uh, stanza in the the last canto of the the Divine Comedy, what he called Comedia, because it ends well. And he said, the love that moves the sun and other stars. Mm. Mm. And it makes me think of the verse, as you know, that precedes Genesis 1-1. There we hear, in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth, but then we see in John... Ah, uh, in the beginning was the Lagos, mm-hmm. and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. Suddenly we realize this is before the beginning of matter, energy, space, and time. We are now dealing with that which is so beyond our comprehension, mm-hmm. and, we're, and we're privileged to enter into that. And then the astonish, astonishing mystery within a mystery, like nested hierarchies of mystery, the Logos, the Word, takes humanity into himself and becomes one with us. The Logos, he, through whom he created all of this. Who, the one who creates, who creates the whole thing now enters into this creation, and now there's a man in heaven, the idea of him being an amphibious being, that there was no such creature before the angels, 
are do not are not embodied, and the animals have no spirits. We are spiritual beings having an earthbound embodied experience. Okay, it, when when I think it's in Colossians when when Paul says that in Him I have, he's talked about Jesus as the one through yes. whom God created. In Him all things hold together. Hold enemy. That's the word. So, and he says they hold together. Is he the I binding force? Is he the binding he's force? He's the binding force. And so I I often use the imagery here. Um, I'm, I'm always amazed at our abysmal ignorance um, when we use a word like the strong force because we don't know what else to call it. What is this force that holds the protons together in the nuclei of all the atoms? And there's no explanation whatsoever because, as you well know, the closer those uh, forces that are reach each other, they repel each other in an inverse square proportion. And so, consequences, there's the amount of... of of a strong force that holds it together is in a teaspoon of water is equivalent to the energy that would require the king, the Queen Elizabeth II, to go from Liverpool to New York and back. Mm. But we don't know what it is, so we call it the strong force, mm. <laughs> as if we had any idea. We put names to mysteries, and we think we understand what they mean, mm. right? Now yeah. we say dark energy, and now we say dark matter mm. to account for phenomena that uh, we, where we simply do not know. Mm. Quasars, we look at quasars, and they are apparently about the size of a sun, but they have the power of a galaxy. There is no force we know that can account for such a thing, and so it goes. So, Ken, do these, these things we're talking about, do they permeate your writing? I, they permeate my teaching. I have visual presentations from the macrocosm to the microcosm. I have uh, presentations on astronomy because um, I love um, we, we, the fact that we are privileged to live in a time where there is more evidence for the glory of the maker, of the creator, now than ever before. Mm. The reasons for that, mm. uh, but because I believe that um, Pascal was right when he said that um, God has apportioned the evidence in such a way that there's enough to satisfy the heart and the mind of a person who chooses to believe, and enough ambiguity to allow the, the one who rejects the evidence to rationalize his disbelief. Mm. And now we live in a culture where disbelief increases, because guess what God does? He bumps up the ante of evidence, mm-hmm. and he uses it in all ways through, uh, through technology, through science. Mm. And the evidence that I use for, I have a presentation on science, faith, and reason. I talk about the evidence for the beginning of the universe, the evidence, secondly, for the fine-tuning of the cosmos, third, the evidence for the impossibility of biogenesis, the first cell, and fourth, the, the uh, evidence for information, the nature of information, in the, in the uh, bio-macromolecules that we call G- DNA. I don't even have to talk about the E-word, evolution. <laughs> I've already, we've already nailed it. And we now have more of that evidence in those four spheres um, in the last 40 years than ever before. So it's a wonderful thing to watch. So it's extraordinary how it's actually enhancing and, and reinforcing uh, the, the biblical perspective. I don't think of faith as being a leap in the dark. It's a step in the light. Mm-hmm. Ken, have you seen the latest high-res pictures of Jupiter that NASA just released? Yes, I did. And uh, I, I, I keep collecting these things. I, every day I go to Astronomy Pictures of the Day and I collect my favorite images. Ah, they, they remind me of Van Gogh. Oh my! They're they're, mar- they're marvelous. Yeah, yeah, they're like the stars a, swirling in yeah. Starry Night in yeah. Van Gogh, and it's Starry Jupiter. Night. And and he himself saw that he believed he he was a painter for a future generation. Mm. Mm. 
he saw things others did not see. Yeah, Boy. things that moved, and that's another discussion. But yeah. yeah. The two of you are dangerous together. You know that, right? <laughs> and I understand it started for both of you in planetariums, huh? It all started there. And we were, we were talking at the beginning there about the Star of Bethlehem. And mm-hmm. that's a whole thing I'm going to be sending to Michael about yes. the whole, like, my, own, my own view, because my master's thesis was on the Star of Bethlehem. Oh, okay. Yeah, and all I, right. And I, yeah, I systematically eliminated the naturalistic phenomena and oh. concluded that actually it was the Shekinah, the Shekinah of glory of God, that was the glory that manifested itself in the wilderness as a as a pillar of cloud by day and, and uh, of of uh, of fire by night that guided them and manifested his presence, the Emmanuel, and so forth. It's, there's a lot. There's a whole separate discussion. My interviewing partner, Michael Card, talking with author and speaker Ken Boa. That interview was part of Michael's In the Studio podcast, which is available on both iTunes and the Google Play Store. You'll find more information about it at firstpersoninterview.com. I think you'll enjoy subscribing and listening to In the Studio. More ahead here on First Person. One year ago, I heard that one of FABC's radio stations aired in our province, so I started to listen. Just one of millions of grateful people who listens to the Far East Broadcasting Company in her own language. So many Kazakh people here like listening to your radio broadcast, and we feel like a family because of it. Thank you so much for broadcasting to our nation. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. That's febc.org. This special edition of First Person continues now with another interview from Michael Card's podcast in the studio. Together, Michael and I talked recently with Mary Frances Bowley, the founder of Wellspring Living. Mary Frances and her friends are deeply involved in offering help and hope to young women caught in the web of sex trafficking. She joined Michael and me on the phone to explain the need and what can be done to help. People who have been through the pain of trafficking and exploitation um, many times wonder where God is. Mm-hmm. And so you can't preach a sermon or just say a few verses for them to know and experience God. You have to live a life of love. You know, Romans talks about uh, faith is, uh, real faith is when you demonstrate love by your actions. And I feel like that has got to be the way we as believers live. Um, and this is such a beautiful picture of the fact that, you know, here are people that have seen the worst of life, but in their healing, I've seen these women and girls um, have such a vibrant relationship with God because He meets them right where they are, and they do see the face of God. It's just a miraculous and almost life-changing to watch that happen because all of a sudden here's someone that you know has had all kinds of horrible experiences, but all of a sudden they look beautifully innocent and um, they have such a deep uh, connection with God. And so I love the way you ended it. You know, I was unaware how it is, but Mm -hmm. they, they never felt they could ever feel close to God, but they can. In their brokenness, they see him maybe more clearly than people who've been in church all their life. That was my question exactly. Do you find that they they understand Jesus in a more fundamental way maybe than we do? Yeah. Yeah, I'll never forget. Um, 
Melissa, our first girl, she really taught me so much. So she came in and, um, you know, me from my little Baptist background, you know, everybody's got to be this way, this way, this way. And so here she comes in and she had the habit of smoking because mm-hmm. that's her lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. She found Jesus, but she couldn't get rid of this habit. So it was around Christmas time. We were all going to go shopping for Christmas um, presents and whatever. And so when I go to pick her up, the girl who was, you know, our staff that was working with her said, hey, Melissa really doesn't want to go shopping. She just wants to sit and read God's Word because she wants to quit smoking. Wow. And she did. For (laughs) hours, she sat in her little space, and she just read God's Word and read God's Word, and that was the end of her addiction. Hmm. And, you know, how we say the Word of God can do anything, we say it so easily. Mm -hmm. I've seen it. And so I vicariously, through their brokenness and watching them, be transformed. Of course, it's transformed me, you know, and my family. It's just amazing the power that God has and how His Word is so healing. And I'm, I'm guessing, too, that an incredible community must come out of this broken uh, group of uh, young women. It does. They care for each other in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we have a little saying: once a wellspring girl, always a wellspring girl. They're always connected. Mm. Um, there is a family that connects because as you heal through trauma, you become close, yeah. and you realize um, as you experience God together what the family of God is all about. Mm. And the, the the people who've been through the program, then I, I'm guessing, become uniquely qualified to speak into the lives of the young women that are just coming sure. out of that world. They certainly do. In fact, our program coordinator that's for our women's program is a graduate eight years ago. Mm. One of the strongest voices we have and so balanced and uh, and gives them hope because they know where she's been. Mm. Mary Frances, these girls, they're they're literally rescued, aren't they? They are. I mean, it's just an interesting, uh, you know, we have some of the wrong thoughts or myths. It's not like girls are kidnapped. Uh, The girls and the women that we um, come across almost entirely are girls and women who are vulnerable. They've had something in their life that has made them vulnerable, whether it's childhood sexual abuse or poverty or neglect. And um, so they're they're really prime suspects for someone that wants to take advantage of them, and that's what traffickers do. It's all a business. And so they know how to say just the right thing and make them feel comfortable, make them feel loved. And then the trauma bond will happen between that trafficker and that girl. And no mm. matter what he asked her to do, she still remembers that he loved her like she'd never felt love before. And wow. so she does things that she really wouldn't do otherwise. Well, what does it and, take to break that? Oh, God. Um, you know, most of our young girls are co- come to us through uh, stings through law enforcement. In those first 30 to 60 days, she still feels like he loves her and that he really didn't mean to harm her. Mm. It's similar to, um, you know, domestic violence, you know, that whole trauma trauma bond or uh, syndrome that... The Stockholm Syndrome, right? Yeah, it's very much that way. Um, And so really, it's a matter of, just as I've said, you have to be... Jesus to these people. You can't speak it. You can't say things bad about that person. You just have to create this bond of trust, and as they begin to trust you and realize that you're not going to give them something and want something in return, then they move forward 
in realizing what's happened to them and that's not where they want to stay and they really want a different and new life. And Jesus, of course, is that pathway. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us about the program. What, what do these girls do when, once they're with you? Yeah, so our younger girls, you know, they should be in school, but school would not be safe uh, for them because of uh, all the things that's happened to them. So we have a residential treatment school in our building. So they're going to school, getting their education. We have a hybrid model because they come on all different levels. And what's amazing is they are smart, they're resilient, and they really move forward. They come in behind but catch up pretty quick while they're with us. Um, They're having counseling uh, at least once a week. They have um, therapeutic groups as well as a lot of uh, life skill building because most of them have not learned the normal things that teenage girls learn. Um, We also, of course, have a spiritual formation class because we want them to find Jesus on their own. Um, And so it's really more like I describe it as a vacation Bible school on steroids. (laughs) It's experiential, not, um, not lecture based. Um, And they get the opportunity to go on field trips. They have mentors. Um, It's just a beautiful uh, opportunity for them to somewhat reclaim their childhood. With our women, they're giving the opportunity to get their GED if they don't have it. Um, After they've been stabilized, um, there's a lot of therapy. There's lots of life skills involved with that. And then in our career segment, when they go into our community-based program, which is offering um, the GED acquisition and also moving toward a sustainable um, employment, we offer a Microsoft Office um, certification, and then after they complete their uh, career track, they get to partner with one of our amazing corporate partners um, for an apprenticeship for 12 weeks. It's paid for at least $12 an hour. So they're truly getting to move toward a living wage, which is something that would never have been able to have happened without this type of uh, intervention and support from our corporate partners like Delta, UPS, um, Accenture, um, even the city of Atlanta now is a, is a partner with us. That's gratifying to hear of their experience. involvement. How, how many uh, girls, and is it exclusively girls? Yes. With our uh, Women's Academy, it's exclusively young women, 18 and up. With our girls' program and our young women's programs, the two other women's programs, all women, uh, we have a community-based program that's embedded in an at-risk school that is for boys and girls, okay. and those are minors, ages 14 to 18. How many girls are you able to help at a time? We're working with about 100 um, at one time, wow. and then with, inside of our school, um, in the last 90 days, we've worked with 118 students, um, and it's about half and half, boys and girls, in this very high-risk school. So at the very end, uh, um, I mean, obviously these young women are, are, are being introduced to a world they probably couldn't imagine existed uh, before. But Wellspring Living's ultimate goal is... Really, to, to end trafficking completely, to make it zero. Mary Frances Bowley, the founder of Wellspring Living. You can learn more about this incredible ministry by visiting us at firstpersoninterview.com. Our interviews today were borrowed from the Michael Card podcast in the studio, which releases a new episode each week on iTunes and Google Play. It's free to subscribe, and we'll have additional information at firstpersoninterview.com. My thanks to Michael Card and our mutual producer, Joe Carlson, for their help in putting these conversations on First Person. And we also want to thank the Far East Broadcasting Company for their support in bringing First Person to you each week. 
You can learn more about praying for FEBC and his millions of listeners by visiting febc.org. Click on the prayer button for specific prayer needs. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back next time for First Person.